Hey there, reindeer fans. You know, the hardest part about running a North Pole adjacent seasonal reindeer farm isn't the noise or even the glowing red nose that doesn't turn off when you're trying to get some holiday shut-eye. No, no. It's the smell of all the sloughed-off reindeer fur. Fortunately, I always have the smell of wild grain rolls and pastries filling the air of my rustic cabin a few ticks north of the 88th parallel. There's nothing quite like the smell of fresh-baked bread coming out of the oven, especially on a chilly morning on the holidays. My guests love the smell and taste of the first bake from frozen box for artisanal bread, which I always have wafting out over the reindeer enclosures. Seriously though, guys, I served wild grain pasta to my parents last week and my mom, no joke, goes, oh my God, this pasta is so good. She's never said that about something I've cooked, so thanks, Wild Grain. This holiday season, Wild Grain is featuring delicious new sweet treats such as pumpkin cinnamon rolls, ooh, orange cranberry biscuits, ooh, and chocolate avalanche croissants, ooh. Visitors to Katie's rustic reindeer ranch love the taste and smell of Wild Grain treats while getting a close look at Blitzen asterisk and Rudolph asterisk. They all have asterisks next to their names to avoid litigation, you see. It's also easy for me to get those bready treats ready in a pinch since all items bake from frozen in 25 minutes or less. Hungry already? I bet. For a limited time, you can get 30 bucks off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash more news to start your subscription. You heard me, reindeer enthusiasts. Free croissants in every box and $30 off when you go to wildgrain.com slash more news. That's wildgrain.com slash more news, or you can use promo code more news at checkout. Now it's time for me to go clean those horns. I said clean out because they're hollow and you, you clean them out. Welcome back to Even More News, the first and only news podcast. That's right. It's true. Just like my name is also true. Yeah, it couldn't be more true. Katie Stoll. True Katie Stoll. Hi, Katie Stoll. I'm Cody Johnston. And don't look up the fact about the podcast being the only one, but trust us about it. Absolutely. <laughs> Do not look up, but always trust. Mm -hmm. And joining us today for the first time, we're really, really excited. Author, attorney, podcast host. We are thrilled to welcome Rabia Shadri. Hi. 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 Thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you, Rabia. We start off our show by acknowledging the national holiday mm -hmm. on which we're recording. And today, National Coaches Day, Thursday, October 6th, National Coaches Day. Oh, I like coaches. Coaches are generally good. I'm thinking of that story. We just the Supreme Court case with the coach last term. Oh, yeah. To, where he was praying. Where he was praying. And then bring everybody to pray with him uh, on the 50 yard line. Yeah. So there's that. Mm hmm. But in general, I find coaches, I'm, I'm grateful for my coaches throughout my life. You know, just thank you, coaches, mm -hmm. except for that one. Except and that anybody one. else that wants to, like, you know, force their players into prayer. I don't think I support that. I know I don't. Mm. Firm, hard stance. 
last time I had a coach, I think I was seven and it was like my dad and my friend's dad's pitching the softball to me. Happy you friend's dad's doing day. sports at seven. I mm. was you just a big reveal. <laughs> I mean, look, I never started, but I'm thankful for my kids coaches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kids co- right now, your dick guys are doing important work helping out the parents and not to just gloss shadow. over. Not shadow? to overshadow. Not it's to a pun over- about what the sh- upcoming day is. Shadow. Good job, Cody. Mm-hmm. Looking ahead. Mm-hmm. N- Friday, October 7th, National LED Light Day. <laughs> National oh, wow. LED. LED. Everything needs a day. Everything needs a fucking day. Doesn't every date have like multiple like different days? Yeah. Like for- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's wild. There is always something to celebrate in these dark mm-hmm. times. <laughs> yeah. Like National LED Light Day. I Go know on. Who turn on your LED light. Yeah, who proposed what that? is an LED light? Give me an example of one. I mean, you probably have some in your house. I'm sure uh, I do, but is it like... Aren't they the ugly lights? Yeah. Like the ugly yeah, light? they're like the, it's like the white light, the bright light, white light. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a light-emitting diode. Yeah, definitely the LED industry did not, like, propose this day. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. They had nothing to do with it. Uh, they're more efficient, but they are too much in your face. Rob, yeah, this is your first time on our show. Thank you. Jonathan, I'm going to throw to you to get us started today. We've got lots to get through. Obviously, not obviously, I'm sorry. This is tough today. I am throwing to you, Jonathan. Yeah. um, Well, since we have you here, our listeners should know that it's kind of fortuitous that we have you here today because we booked you before the release of Adnan Syed, before we knew he was going to be released. You've known him since he was 13 years old. You have been his public advocate during his incarceration. I guess just real quick for our listeners who may not be familiar with the case, he was wrongfully convicted of murder in 2000 and spent over 20 years in prison, uh, released last month after a judge vacated his conviction, both due to prosecutors failing to turn over evidence that could have helped him at trial and for apparent new evidence that could have changed the outcome. Hopefully I got all that right. Sure. Yep. Mm -hmm. So before we get into what's next and wrongful convictions in general, I'm really curious of what those first days were like after you knew he was going to get out and then when he got home. Oh, gosh. I mean, we didn't really know until the moment the judge said, I am granting the motion and vacating his conviction that it was really going to happen. Like we. Wow. We're, you know, and we have been so close to this point before in the past that I absolutely was not going to let myself celebrate till it happened. And frankly, yeah. we're still encountering some um, resistance from the state, but uh, not from the the from the state attorney's office, the Baltimore City's state attorney's office, but from like the the Maryland general attorney general's office, because the Maryland attorney general in the past, I don't know, five, six, seven years, they have been fighting our uh, efforts to uh, get him a new trial all these years. So they're not too pleased with this result. And so there's a little bit of weirdness between those two offices, but they're going to have to work it out. So, yeah, it wasn't really until that moment when it happened, but it, there was this like this weird kind of deja vu because it was like the story being bookended with almost the same scene because I was sitting behind Adnan about 10, 15 feet behind him on the day he was convicted and with his back to us and the jury reading the verdict. And then all these years later, I was sitting in pretty much a similar position behind him with his back to us when the judge said that she's throwing out the conviction and told and told the uh sheriff's deputy to remove his shackles and i also remember 23 years ago when they told oh. when they came to put the shackles on him for the first time in the courtroom um because normally when you're you know when you're facing trial they don't walk you in with shackles during the trial because they want you to be in a suit and look 
like, you know, a civilian for the jury. But the minute the verdict was read that he was guilty, they shackled him. And I've never seen him without shackles for 23 years. So it was um, an incredibly profound moment for me and for all of us, obviously. And there were just gasps in the courtroom. Um, and then the judge dismissed everybody but family. And that includes me at this point. Um, so there's like four of us. And Adnan just sat there waiting for the judge to say, like, to signal that he could go. And he wouldn't turn until she said, because he's so used to being told what to do. And she said, finally, she looked up and was like, Doc, she's like, Mr. Said, go be with your family. And it was crazy because we have never, we haven't been able to touch him in years. Like when you, he was at a supermax facility for many years of his incarceration. You couldn't touch him. We were behind plexiglass. So yeah, it was amazing. And then taking him home. Uh, it's like a dream. It was like a dream. Yeah. I got some chills listening to that. And it's not just because Cody's AC <laughs> is on. It's it's cold in here. But I honestly have find it hard to wrap my mind around how that might feel. And all of these years, these long drawn out years and what a ride it's been. And not what a ride, but I know I'm referencing this obviously serial podcast that got so much wrong about the case and did not follow up about it. And I know that there's been a lot of attention and ebbs and flows paid to paid attention to what the, to this case and to what's been going on. But then it drops off out of a lot of people's mind and we don't know what's been happening or that, you know, the realization, new evidence or new things that weren't necessarily highlighted on the show. And then to feel I'm trying to articulate what it must have felt like to have the surge of attention and then they get it wrong and it almost it doesn't really help you at all. And then people stop paying attention and there's hope and then there's pain. I'll tell you what it feels like. It feels like absolute and complete validation because, you know, at the hearing, yeah, yeah. the motion that was raised and Jonathan's right that, you know, the motion was granted and his conviction cleared for a number of reasons, like evidence that wasn't turned over, new evidence, but also, mm -hmm. also the motion pointed out incredible serious flaws in the actual conviction itself. Things that had gone really wrong at trial, like the the state's witness being, you know, Jay Wiles, their main witness being completely flawed and mm -hmm. uh, not credible and getting his stories wrong, like there being a history of misconduct by the detective, like literally this is in the state's motion. They un they undid the evidence, like the cell phone evidence being complete bullshit, junk science. They undid their own case, right? Like they undid the, the evidence mm -hmm. um, themselves. And it was validating because number one, Serial got all those things wrong, but also Undisclosed got all those things right years ago. Me and my, my, you know, my colleague, Susan Simpson, Colin Miller, incredible attorneys and investigators, they pointed this stuff out six, seven years ago in our podcast. So for it to show up years later, um, and, and even um, part of the, you know, the documentary about the case was cited in court, in open mm -hmm. court. It was remarkable. So yeah, it felt very validating on, I mean, all of these issues. I'm like, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. It all I kept saying to myself. Yeah, I feel very frustrated hearing that it was, you said the state is fighting this or, you know, didn't want him to be released. The, the state is, I mean, when you say the state, it's like you've got the city prosecutor who is the one who has said, mm -hmm. no, this conviction needs to be thrown out. Then you've got the attorney general. And, you know, so and the attorney general is the one who's been fighting to keep the conviction, you know, d like sound. So you have these two parties inside the state that are at odds. And it's I, I don't know. But at this point, I don't know 
what anybody could do to like reverse this thing. I mean, I think now that Adnan is out, he's out. Um, he is on home detention and that's going to remain until mm -hmm. the state's attorney decides whether or not to completely drop charges or take him to trial again. And we welcome either one of those, um, you know, scenarios. Mm -hmm. Cause it does not sound like they have a case. And there are two other po possible suspects that have not been identified, but you know, I, I mean, they pretty much have been identified. I mean, the Baltimore sun has been doing some pretty, um, they identify them by names at this point. So they're there. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, one of the suspects, anybody who knows the case knows that it was the guy who found the body because that suspect was given. He was the literally the only person in the entire case given a polygraph, which he failed. And so by referencing the polygraph, the state tells us who that suspect is. The other one, um, I, I don't know, the reporter at The Sun figured out himself. So you get the sense that the... Baltimore City District Attorney's office is not going to try to retry the case. Is there a time frame by where they have to do that? Well, she has said in just an interview two days ago, but she literally we, we met with her privately before the hearing. She said multiple times, um, State's Attorney Mosby, that I'm waiting for this batch, this final batch of DNA testing to come back because there's been two different rounds. And once it comes back, um, I'm going to either drop charges or if there's anything there, I'll take him back to trial. Those are the two. Now, the court has said you have 30 days to make that decision. The 30 days will be October 19th. Um, if for some reason the DNA testing does not come back in time, because this stuff can take forever, then her only option really would be to like kind of set a trial date out in the future just to kind of buy time and then make the decision. She can always drop the charges later, make the decision when she gets the DNA evidence. Having said that, from my conversation with her, I do think that it's likely that the evidence will come in before the 30 days. Listen up, pal. Listen, listen to Katie. You know, some nights it sure is hard to get to sleep. What with knowing about all the terror you've unleashed on the world? Like you, I've spent many moonlit hours standing at my window, looking at my ever-expanding garden. Luckily, there's Sleep Save Day Solutions from Next Evo Naturals. Their triple-action sleep capsules and sleep support Save Day Complex gummies are both designed to help you get the rest you need to wake up feeling refreshed. Cram these restless feelings deep down inside with their strawberry-flavored sleep support Sebede Complex gummies with fast-acting melatonin that helps you fall asleep quickly. Yum! Ignore the abyss of guilt! Not all Sebede is made equally. Next Evo's precision formulations are backed by more scientific studies than any other Sebede brand. It's vegan, non-GMO, and THC-free, using 100% U.S.-grown hemp. And... It's a great way to reduce stress and get you in the mood to sleep so you can recharge, swallow the darkness, and go back out into that world. Watch out, world! Watch out, world. Get a better night's rest with Sleep Save Day Solutions from Nextevo Naturals. For up to 25% off subscription orders of $50 or more, use promo code MORENEWS at nextevo.com. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O.com. Promo code MORENEWS. All right. We want to talk about wrongful convictions a little bit in general and and just dovetailing off of the serial where there conversation, there was so much focus on it. It felt like a real missed opportunity to talk about wrongful convictions at large, you know, because what happened to Adnan is actually quite commonplace. And, you know, it happens all the time in our current criminal justice system. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, speaking of, you start off your show with naming a day, wrongful conviction day recently passed <laughs> just a couple of days ago. Mm. Well, we missed yeah, that, that one. That one actually matters. Um, yeah, I mean, wrongful convictions are not uncommon. Like if, you know, the statistics show us that even if we take a very um, kind of conservative approach and say, let's say only 5% of convictions are wrongful, that's still 100,000 people in prisons today, given the amount of people we incarcerate who are wrongfully convicted. The work I do with my team, you know, we look at wrong, the wrongful convictions of people who have been convicted of murder and are serving either life sentences or facing death sentences. But that we, we are not able to look at all the people who are wrongfully convicted of drug charges, of, of violent offenses, right. of all kinds of other kinds of, you know, criminal charges that frankly, because their sentence is not as long or whatever, like we just don't have the bandwidth to do. So mm. I'm guessing the number is higher than 5%. I'm guessing it's probably closer to between eight to 10% because just of just, just what I've seen. And, you know, wrongful conviction also, there's, there's something called, a, not everybody who's wrongfully convicted is innocent either. So that's like another thing we have to understand. You mm -hmm. can be guilty of something, but you're wrongfully convicted because you didn't get due process. Right. Um, and, you know, I know for some people, they might not care, but you should care because we all deserve due process and a, and a fair trial. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, it's, this is an endemic issue. One of the big reasons at the root of it, I believe, is that there's no accountability. Um, because almost like for an, I'll give you an example in, in Baltimore or in Maryland, excuse me, 80% of the exonerations that have taken place in the state have at the heart of them misconduct by prosecutors. Like they hid evidence from the defense. Mm. So imagine being a defendant. How are you supposed to defend yourself if they're hiding evidence? And who collects mm. evidence during an investigation? Only the state. The state is the one that can subpoena people. They can do all the stuff that we, we can't do. Defendants can't do. And if they hide the ball, that's a really egregious. So if 80%, but those prosecutors go on to become judges. They get, they, they, they don't end up in prison. Yeah. They don't pay any fines. There's no accountability. Mm -hmm. And that's a real problem. And you mentioned whether or not they're not going to put Adnan back in prison, you know, but like, I don't think from what you've described and, and the way that this is going, but like, like you said, they didn't want him to be released. They don't care, actually, if somebody's innocent or not, is my point. What they want is for the case to be solved. What they want finality. is for that to be out of the finality. It doesn't matter to them if it's the right person. And I mean, there's obviously that's bad. This is a huge problem in our country. And I'm grateful. I know you're great. Everyone's grateful where we are at here with this case. But, you know, it took 23 years. Yeah for this to happen with all of this right. attention Look, an average you know? exoneration takes decades you know it takes decades yeah. and sometimes it just takes those decades because you know a lot of the cases that we work on are from the late 80s early 90s where first of all there was this weird csi effect kind of impacting the country everybody who mm. watched csi or whatever just, just thought that forensic <laughs> evidence is everywhere and like you got you can trust it so the juries were populated with people who'd be presented with junk science and think that's real that shit is real and i can actually like you know, convict this person based on it. But the thing is, like, since then, obviously, technology's evolved. And we know now that a lot of it is junk. Um, so that should help undo convictions. But also, you know, a lot of these cases have never had DNA testing ever. You know, the fact that Adnan's, in Adnan's case, the DNA testing is happening now after all these years is crazy. But I will mm -hmm. say this, that if even if it took place 10 years ago, uh, it, we wouldn't have had the same kind of sophisticated technology that we have today to to pull up even touch DNA. So that's why it just take it does take a long, long time. I just like it's just so <laughs> wild to to compare like the 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 length of 
the original trial, right? Like how quickly somebody can be convicted uh, versus how long it takes to undo it. Mm. It's just yeah. like, yeah. A child, yeah. by the way. He was he, just a kid. It was a, a six-week trial, but the jury deliberated for about three hours, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like we had, we were, we, maybe it was less because I remember we were, we were dismissed from the courtroom when the jury retired for deliberation. And we were like, we should go get lunch. We didn't even get to lunch before we were called back. It was very, very quick within like a couple of hours, I think. And you mentioned the, I, the idea of like CSI junk science. And I imagine myself being on a jury in like 1999, knowing nothing about cell phones and being told, well, this ping right. is this and this ping is that. And why would I doubt that? Being like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. sure, of course, that's ironclad. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and um, we had a guest on recently, uh, Josie Duffy Rice, who went on. I love on, Josie, yep. She's great. And she's she wonderful. went on, uh, I think it was You're Wrong About, to talk about all the CSI junk science and stuff. And it's really illuminating because television and film has just taught us is that this is how investigations go. This is how it's it's science. It's not speculation. It's not, oh, we... Right we picked out this guy on the first day and we're going to do everything to get that conviction. It's like, oh no, we had the lasers, we had the, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, right. N- and yeah. none of it, mark, it, bite mark evidence. I mean, mm-hmm. like blood spatter evidence. I mean, hair, I mean, hair comparison analysis has been around forever. It is, and the problem is a lot of this crap is still accepted in a lot of courts, but you know how they do hair analysis? A person just sits down with a, with a, with a little, with a little, um, what's it called? Uh, what are they called? A microscope, excuse me, and yeah. and just looks at them. I mean, this is the sophistication mm. we're talking about with hair analysis. Like that's that was done, especially two decades ago. But the other thing is this: we didn't understand. Nobody in '99 or 2000 or even maybe 10 years ago would have understood the phenomena of false confessions. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. would believe yeah. that somebody like Jay Wiles, the state's witness in this case, would falsely implicate himself or just falsely come. Like nobody would believe that, even me, because I didn't know this was a thing. It's only really been in the last 10 or 15 years that the public is more aware of how easily it is to get like young people to falsely confess what what the read technique, um, that interrogative technique, how it coerces people into confessing. We're just understanding a lot more about how people end up um, like, you know, being convicted of crimes they didn't commit. We just didn't know it then. And how a lot of times that's the goal, right? Like they have these methods to get these confessions because that's all they want. They don't want any. They don't they're not looking for the truth right well to Uh, them the confession i I mean there's many cases in which uh we've looked at in which there's no evidence but a confession there's no witness it's just that one kid's confession which the kid will then say can i go home now am i done Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. for the police officers then i mean i'm it's really hard for me to say to be fair but okay (laughs) they also didn't believe that anybody would confess they really didn't think anybody would confess unless it was for real because they're grown you know, men, grizzled men who are like, I wouldn't confess to this shit, right. a murder if I didn't do it. They can't believe that somebody would falsely confess. They didn't believe it then. Now th- it's more common for law enforcement to understand that it can happen. And so you have to be careful to make sure it doesn't happen. When they're frightened and st- someone's stuck in a room for 12 yes. hours or they haven't, you know, they get a sprite and they're like, this guy's my friend, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or they're, they're lied to that they're lied to and they're allowed to be lied to. Yes. And you don't know. It's scary. I mean, look, look at how many people are wrongfully convicted. You think if this person's on my side, how do I get out of this? Or, you know, they say something and it gets twisted and you're tired. There's all sorts of explanations for for how this happens. And to your point, yeah, a lot has changed. I mean, it's not just that the technology has changed. I think that we have 
or we are starting to collectively change in how we accept information in who we trust. I know that I um, certainly when I in early 2000, I probably 2000s, I probably would be quicker to trust a cop than right. I am now or to what they say. But we see the propaganda everywhere. We see the twisting. We see there's a story about the, these uh, L.A. Off PD officer that was killed in a quote unquote training <laughs> yeah. exercise. But right. it turns out that actually he was investigating. Yeah, they killed that uh, guy. Misconduct. And they killed him. I mean, it seems. So allegedly, my point yes, is, is that I don't allegedly is that I think that we are now aware of all the fractures mm. in our system. This is just a big, broad general phrasing yeah, here. We've got a but healthy like, skepticism. And right? we're we've got seeing a healthy it. skepticism now. Yeah. And yeah, it's not important. just about this. I think not just about the systems or the institutions, but also about like what we're talking about, like the media, the propaganda, like the CSI things. It's sort of like have molded people's view of like, well, they're out there, they're doing the hard work, they're doing this, they're doing this, and they're doing it all the right way. And yeah. uh, and look, I'm going to say this, look, I, I come from a family of police too, on my mother's side. Um, there are mm -hmm. some most, I would say most law enforcement officers, most prosecutors are ethical people. But one dirty one over the course of his career can ruin hundreds of lives. And then the disease yeah. spreads. I mean, anybody who knows anything about like Baltimore, is probably plugged into the you know the gttf stuff the the um gun trace task force stuff it's yeah oh, man. i mean like it's it's i don't know but but the problem is again accountability right like so we have all seen social media we've seen videos that citizens take of like police literally killing somebody in front of your eyes they don't get convicted yeah. sometimes they don't even get charged well and and it's yeah, the system <laughs> we've created no. right so if it doesn't matter if you know, a uh, prosecutor X or officer X is ethical because they're in a system that's like, well, we need this conviction. Well, we need this arrest. They get qualified immunity. You can't even sue them. Right. They get qualified yes. immunity. And you know who set that up? That system set up by prosecutors as well. <laughs> they want those laws. Mm -hmm. I mean, so there's a, in Maryland, we have something called the police bill of rights that won't even allow somebody. If I have been brutalized by the police, I don't even have a right to get that officer's like his um his uh like the reports any any of the reports about brutality i will never know that there's a pattern there if he's been doing it for 20 years because i don't because the police bill of rights will protect that from me that's wild and of course again a conversation we just had on a show recently is again scotus decisions and how you know we're not sure if Miranda rights are going to be a thing in the future. You know, they're chipping away yeah. at stuff like that. And it is terrifying. And I am very grateful for people like you for doing this kind of work. I have really quick. There's a bit of breaking news that's slightly relevant to this. I think Joe Biden, the president of the United States, uh, has just pardoned anyone with a prior federal offense for possession of marijuana. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and he's urging all the governors wow. to do the same and is going to try to reschedule marijuana as well. Yeah. That's oh, my God. Wait, that's yeah. a Huge. really incredible piece of yeah. breaking news. Well, yeah, we, we got some breaking Dark Brandon during the yeah. show. <laughs> that's Dark yeah. Brandon. My God. Brandon. Shoot those fine. beams from your eyes. Norman Brandon's taking a nap, but this news. guy. Yeah. I'm very, very thrilled to hear it because i was thinking That's, right now about touching on that but it's yeah. so depressing to me because i smoke <laughs> a lot of marijuana and i i mean it's that's not why it's depressing it's it's a thing that i think about all the time is that i feel such a lack 
a fear around this substance that has that does give me a lot of relief medically, you know, and I, I am a privileged white woman who has not felt yeah. fear around it. And I think it's really, really important that everybody enjoying it uh, acknowledge and realize what's happening. Yeah. And this is huge. No, no, Sorry, I was just going to say this. This is the kind of move that can, in a very big sweeping way, address the problem of mass incarceration, because mm -hmm. so many people who yeah. are in incarcerated are there for like nonviolent drug offenses. You know, um, I hope yes. he continues to take this further. I was going to say this is like this is like the first thing you would do. <laughs> like right. there's so many things that need to happen, yeah. and the first like okay, well this is we're done with this yeah. we're not doing this anymore yeah. and then and, down the line. and by the way you know like i do think this is the trajectory that we are going in as a society we went from three strikes you're out yeah. to you know like the super predators back in whatever the night early 90s to now understanding like oh my god what the f have we been doing mm -hmm. you know what i mean and there's even the skepticism like the the true crime world which i'm like you know very obviously deeply in um true crime reporting has changed dramatically to so that the listeners are like not taking reporting at face evidence or at mm -hmm. face value excuse me not mm -hmm. listening so I, I i feel like positive about the trajectory we're moving in on yeah. criminal justice i mean the fact that like we don't need to get into it but like joe biden of all people is doing that like knowing his history with like like sure. war on drugs and everything and yeah it's like the opposite of poetic in some way it's weird i, I appreciate a mea culpa i appreciate mm -hmm. somebody who says mm -hmm. i yeah. got the, i got this wrong big that, time yeah, yeah. I, I welcome that I think in general, politics aside, this is me getting a little hookie bookie, hookie bookie. You were going to say hookie bookie. Maybe not hookie bookie, but I think it's not. I was going to say hookie bookie, but it's not hookie bookie. That would be if I was saying my psychic mm. told me this, but my other psychic told me this. <laughs> yeah, I think a big problem in general across the spectrum of everything to me is a lack of accountability. I think that we uh, culturally grow up thinking we can't be wrong and there's a fear of failure in making mistakes and that might stop people from trying and it stops other people from admitting when they've done something wrong. That means in our personal relationships and business politically. So to me, anybody being able to say like, here's how I've changed. Or like, I see that that was a mistake and I want to fix it. That's a big deal. I think that that's um, to be celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. Great. yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick ad break. Oh, good. But don't worry, guys. Then we'll be back for even more news. Oh, good. On holiday, there's nothing like doing nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing for less. Expedia, made to travel. Autumn is here, folks. And you know what that means. Cool, crisp nights, the taste of maple and pumpkin, a faint aroma of burning wood, and millions of crabs roaming the streets at night looking for people to rough up. That's why they call it fall, because we fall over when the crabs swarm us. It's much better to stay inside, tucked in bed, and enjoying the buttery, smooth sheets from bowl and branch. Their signature hemmed sheets have over 25,000 rave reviews and for 
good reason. They're made from the highest quality threads for a superior softness and a better night's sleep. Away from the pincers hungrily clacking at your door. The scuttling nightmare of the October night. Truly, these are sheets made for a king. Not the crab king that commands his terror swarms, but a human king. Someone who might one day rise up and fight against the crab army. Bowl and branch signature sheets come in nine colors and fit all mattress sizes. And they're so confident you will love their product that they will give you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns on all orders. So try the sheets that will make fall the coziest season of the year, despite the many, many crabs, and get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code MORNING at bolandbranch.com. That's bolandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code more news. Oh no, they're coming. They're coming. Oh, the crabs! Greetings, consumer. Are you interested in saving the environment while also looking for a debit card that has no credit check and no overdraft fees? Are you worried about climate change but also have a lot of stuff you want to buy and would like to combine those two interests? Well, then you should check out Aspiration. They are a climate-friendly alternative to big banks in that you plant a tree by rounding up every swipe of your debit card. Or rather, they do it. They fund the planting of the tree. But only if you round up. So far, they've funded the planting of over 100 million trees and are on their way to funding the planting of 1 billion trees by 2030. Provided you round up, that is. Most of us have debit cards, so why not have a debit card from a bank that also plants trees? Did I mention that their debit cards are plastic-free? You also get up to 10% cash back with your Aspiration Plus debit card on purchases at socially responsible businesses. So, yeah, there are a lot of other, perhaps better ways to mitigate climate change out there, sure. But why not also get this eco-friendly debit card? That's assuming you've researched them in terms of credit ratings and fees and all that. Also, maybe look into local credit unions. But once you've done that, you can open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com slash more news debit and move your money out of fossil fuels. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash more news debit today. Again, aspiration.com slash more news debit. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back as promised for even more news. We did it. Mm-hmm. We're in the second half. Rocking and rolling. Slid right into the second half. It's going great. We're having fun, Jonathan. We're all very high now. Ruin it for us by talking about Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> so this God, this might be this might have changed just by the time I put these notes together. I know. Uh, Elon Musk now says he is actually planning to buy Twitter. For the originally agreed upon price of $54.20 per share. This is probably happening because his lawyers told him that he didn't have much of a case in terms of Twitter's lawsuit against him. Yeah, I would also posit that he's doing it because he didn't want the trial to continue because of like things like discovery and uh, the process of the trial, I think, would have hurt him. Yes, he was going to lose and more emails and texts and things that yeah. he probably doesn't want out. Or also, we're get out. I feel like he doesn't like people making fun of him. Oh, definitely. You, you don't have to feel that way. You can just know it. <laughs> I don't. I know. I'm yeah. sure. But, you know, he fired people uh, on his uh, 
comedy project that he never ended up doing because they made fun of him. <laughs> so, guy. but one thing to talk about here is that the the hitch appears to be the financing of this because he's now like, okay, I'm going to buy ah. it for the forty four billion, but that includes thirteen billion of debt from big ba- or big banks were going to put up this money and take on a bunch of debt and then sell that debt. And now that debt is going to be worth a lot less because the market's down. And so maybe, you know, Morgan Stanley or Barclays doesn't want to front the money. anymore. Uh, yeah, I saw there's like there are people pulling out like the people he had lined up to help him with this purchase uh, are no longer willing to help him. So what's the most likely outcome here is that he does end up taking control of Twitter, but is like what board because he he hasn't cared about actually the free speech stuff or any of this stuff he's been talking about in what six months now yeah i just don't think that anything is uh, he buys twitter he doesn't i don't think much will change i think what everything he's railed about and talked about he's not going to be able to do anything about Uh, the the issues of the internet and are bigger than him and all of his thoughts about free speech or twitter or what have you I mean, it's different in every country. There's different. I think, you know, my what I do think is possible if he does end up owning Twitter is that he could he could replatform or just platform a lot of fascists. And I mean, yes. like, you know, it's not so much about what he can do about like, quote, the everyday person. It's more about who he's going to not kick off the platform anymore or just, you know, welcome back on because that's kind of what he he's told us. That's what he believes. He doesn't believe yes. in the fact that people like, you know, based on their belief like all ideas are kind of equal to him but you know what i mean so that that's i think it it could just become a much more toxic place which you know i mean yeah if you lose you know users because of that then i mean is it is it worth it and losers too and you yeah losers too well yeah because i think that uh i mean he'll probably bring trump back and a lot of other people and so on and i think one thing like one result of that is that he uh, it kind of blow, blows it up and he like ignores it and doesn't do anything about it. Or right. it's his company and he will slowly realize all of the complexity and nuance that comes with moderating a platform like that. And he'll sort of like start to realize like, oh, if I don't do the things that I was complaining about, then this happens. And he'll sort of start to see like the actual moving parts. It's like it's like being like, you know, there's like some forum that you're you're a part of. and You're like, oh, it sucks. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then you get in charge of the forum. And you're like, oh, moderating a forum is really, really hard, actually. And I think that he will start maybe start to realize that or because also a lot of his ideas are not good. Uh, you can find a lot of his ideas for the, like how to monetize the platform, all these sort of ideas. And they're all pretty bad. And not just like, I don't like Elon Musk, but like, that's a bad idea. I, don't, I wouldn't want to use that for the website. He wants to introduce like Dogecoin and stuff like that. Um, so I think that he, the only changes he'll make aside from like letting people on will probably be aesthetic because that's what his whole deal is. It's aesthetics and like PR. So he might change the way Twitter looks, but I think all of his bad ideas won't actually filter through because they won't want to do them because they're bad ideas. But he will also get very bored very quickly and he's going to if he remains the ceo of twitter he will be the ceo of five companies which again i would argue makes it seem like being a ceo is not 
the maybe that. it's like really easy <laughs> kind of seems like maybe he's not really a ceo right. of anything you say you work 80 hours a day and then you buy another company or 80 hours a week then you buy another company you still work 80 hours a week then you buy another company you still do say that maybe you're actually not working right on. so like there will be a two-week period where he's like i'm all on my tesla robot or tesla guy in a suit or whatever it is yeah. and then so the people at twitter will be just like working away setting stuff up doing what they always do and then like once every eight months they'll get like an email or a call out of the blue and be like all hands meeting we're doing this now we're mm -hmm. you know uh, now all tweets are getting shot into space or whatever it is yeah. <laughs> then they'll like have to do that for a couple of weeks and then he'll like get bored he'll get and bored, move on because exactly. he does not actually make another flamethrower yeah and like it's uh you know the 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 business as usual things that they do that are successes He'll be like, look at what's happening under my rule, you know, and take credit for it. And then, yeah, do these silly things. I think his ego is going to outweigh his um, pragmatism, his pragmatism. Mm -hmm. And I people like that tend to I mean, he's a total narcissist, tend to burn shit down if, if that's what you know what I mean? Like They don't care mm -hmm. if it burns down as long as their ego exactly. is served. Yeah. So I don't know how it's going to go, but I mean. And this might yeah. burn down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and he wouldn't care, right? Like, it's not um, something he, he actually cares about, other than the attention that he gets and the praise he gets. Uh, and the power, the yeah. power that he has over all this, yeah. Hop in, losers. We're all headed back yeah. to Facebook. Also, <laughs> no, we're not. No, we aren't. Uh, also, <laughs> no, I, uh, we I saw aren't. this report that he uh, he didn't attend a uh, one of the, the Twitter deposition because of COVID concerns. <laughs> Yeah, I he thought he didn't lot. like believe nice. in it and that he made all of his workers go to work in spite of it. So maybe he's like very kind few of a liar cases in US in by end of April. Very few cases by end of April 2020. End of April 2020. He's got all these young babies and they're too young to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So that's true. You know, that's just being a good parent. I real think quick, we should move on. We to move more on. Important. I, I, I okay. agree with you. We should move on. But real quick, uh, this is he, he tweeted something. He tweeted, buying Twitter is an accelerant to creating X, the everything app. Yeah, what the heck is that? He just, it's just, it's just. Is this a joke? Weird, like, Reddit tier, like, jokes about, I, like, I don't know. He just says stuff sometimes, right? His, like, water truck thing. Like, ah, your truck is a submarine. That was a joke, but it was like, was it? I don't know. So just, I actually do want, Thank really goodness. want to move on to more important things. But I, now I'd forgotten about this just every week. Him chiming in and creating a fucking poll, a Twitter poll about whether or not Russia's elections in the annexed parts of Ukraine, like if the people want it, then that should be the, the way. Mm. Shut the fuck up, man. Shut the fuck up. That is <laughs> it's well beyond. And now Russia's officially like touting that is like, yes, Elon Musk is correct. <laughs> the will God. of the people. Fuck you. Oh, he is. It's, the it's absurd. Yeah. I'm just acknowledging it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> totally. I want to pivot because this is actually way more important and um, impactful in every way. Uh, and that that is are the protests in Iran. So, Jonathan, set us up for this conversation, please. And thank you. Sure. Uh, protests have been going on in Iran for three weeks um, since the killing of uh, Masa Amini. Uh, she's a Kurdish woman who was arrested by, I don't know what they're officially called, the Iran's morality police. Yeah. For not properly wearing the hijab. Eyewitnesses said she was severely beaten before falling into a coma for two days and dying. The police said she just randomly had a heart attack while in their custody. There have been... A young woman. Just massive um, protests in Iran and outside of Iran. The government has been cracking down 
with displays of brutal force. Um, unknown number of people have died in those in those demonstrations. Dozens, at least, hundreds of women have been arrested. And this is a this is a a you know primarily woman led protest. A lot of young women are leading this. They have been chanting slogans like "Woman, Life, Freedom," and "Death to the Dictator." I'm sure, pretty sure that the the deaths at this point are in the hundreds. I think that that's hard to specifically quantify, but just, yeah, I just wanted to interject with that. Yeah, but this is, uh, you know, it's also very inspiring. This is the, the most that the regime has been pressured in years, perhaps decades. I mean, some of the, the there's images of um, some of the protests in solidarity around the world. Uh, I saw one from Kabul, Afghanistan, where 30 women were were protesting in support and they were dispersed by the Taliban with soldiers firing into the air. So, you know, this this does appear to be something that is really galvanizing uh, the world and bringing people to their cause. This is a story I, I think we would like to bring someone on in the near future who can talk about this with some expertise and, and personal experiences. Uh, but I have been gutted and very inspired by the demonstrations that I've seen of people drawing attention to this, you know, so much is happening all the time in this country around the world. And it's it can be hard for stuff to break through into our American consciousness and internationally. And um, but this is like this is the crux of so much that we see uh, just the, um, the the stripping away of human rights and, you know, personal freedoms and ruling through terror. And it is incredible to see people uh, rising up like this. I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of interviews or, or pieces about it. And there kind of is a bit of an attitude of what do we have to lose at this point? Well, can I can I just say something? Because um, yes, please, I stand in solidarity with the people of Iran who are putting their lives on the line for basic human freedoms. But I am also filled with a sense of dread yeah, because a lot of us are forgetting about the Arab Spring, and you know, mm -hmm. from it's really easy from a distance to say, "Yeah, go for it, do all this," and then not be there in any real way to provide mm -hmm. support on the ground, protection, to do anything. None of that worked out great for those regions. How did the Arab Spring end? Yeah, and and I I think that's kind of what's happening now too, and I feel like. Look, look at what happened in Afghanistan. We fought the Taliban. We're freeing these women. Guess what? The Taliban are back and they are entrenched. Like we, we, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I, I don't I do. see, and you're talking about entrenched patriarchy and misogyny. Look at what happened. What's happened. My daughters have less reproductive rights than I had growing up. So to me, those yeah. power structures don't go away like that. It, the, it, yeah. it's, I hate to say it. I don't think. I don't, I'm not saying that it's not important for, you know, to, to, you know, for, it's not important that the people of Iran um, don't take like matters in their hand, but I don't, I just don't have hope because I am afraid of what these kinds of regimes will do to keep power and they will do anything. They will yeah. all, they will murder as many citizens. Look at Bashar Assad in Syria, murder tens of thousands of your own citizens to keep power. This is what we're talking about here. And I don't think people understand how absolutely terrifying and dangerous um, this is. And 
I, I'm I'm really full of dread. I might yeah. I, I tweeted my heart's in my throat and it really is seeing these images because I think about my daughters and I don't know if I would have the bravery to do it. Yeah, I think those are really, really, really important points. Thank you. Cause as we're sitting here talking about this, I'm aware it's just it's hard because it is scary. I am inspired by it and you want to and I support it, you know, in so much as like, yes, obviously. But I am terrified. I don't know what happens. I don't know how any of these, you know, regimes around the world back down <laughs> once they've stood their ground. Right. And that people, the support that you see online right now this week probably isn't going to stick around long enough to see this movement through. And then meanwhile, what happens? Everybody's day to day lives continue or get worse, you know, on the ground there. Yeah. Attention is a commodity and uh, it's, you know, scarce. And what keeps things going like that is just the attention. And, you know, what Trump will announce he's, he's going to run in 2024 and then that's where all the attention will go. Right. Or, you know, OPEC slashing yeah. what, however many barrels of oil production and how that's going to affect our midterms, et cetera. Okay, before we wrap things up, I wanted to talk about some of your upcoming projects. Um, normally we do that up top, but you've got a lot going on. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, well, first, let's start with your new book, Fatty Fatty Boom Boom, a memoir of food, fat and family, which comes out on November 8th. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's like three years in the making. And so it's like, you know, finally having this baby yeah. out in the world. Um it's it is what it said it says it is it's a memoir about food fat and family and you know after i wrote a non-story which you know did really well it was critically very well received and new york times bestseller all that good stuff um immediately the, my publisher and agent's like gotta write something next and i thought i i gravitate towards nonfiction, but writing a non-story almost killed me because it required so much intense research yeah. what can i write that I don't have to put in touch. I was like, oh yeah, my own story. And so if I did, it would be around this subject that I have never really publicly spoken about. Although privately, anybody who knows me knows I'm constantly talking about this stuff. And also I think it just resonates with a lot of people. Who doesn't, who's not always talking about food, fat and family? I'm <laughs> like, mm -hmm. everybody is in some level. Yeah. And so, but it is more of a, a it's not, it, it's kind of has more of a, a, a lighthearted take. Like it has a bit of a my big fat yeah. Greek wedding feel it's gotten, yeah, like three starred <laughs> reviews already. It's getting great reviews and um, yeah, I'm very excited about it and I hope people check it out. We've got a, a blurb for your new book it says it's the story of a woman grappling with a body that gets the job done, but refuses to meet the expectations of others. And I think that is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that others have expectations of other people's bodies and um, and just that pressure we we put on that on the individual. Look, I'm I, I, Jonathan might want me to cut this out, but I am working on a new project. And this is one of the first um, topics that we're kind of digging into is this. So the relationship that we have with our bodies and the pressure that we get socially and kind of the roots of that, you know, how, you know, we, we're sold this idea of you know, BMI or ideal weights and it's all bullshit, but we, we, have but I also think one of the most damaging things, uh, ideas around this conversation is that is the idea that it's all about just discipline. If you are disciplined and can take mm -hmm. care of yourself exactly. without, without giving any credence to, you know, family history, what you inherit trauma, pa childhood patterns, 
Um, I mean, the shit that's in our food, which is not real food. Mm-hmm. We're, we're learning so much about how we metabolize food. Everybody's yeah. different about what genetic markers affect that. But also the whole idea of discipline is actually bullshit. If it's you bullshit. look into it, you're like, okay, so a, if you actually measure people's discipline, it's almost impossible. I might be someone uh, who you consider disciplined because I hike a lot. Well, it might not be hard for me. That's not self-discipline because I like to hike. What is hard for me that requires self-discipline, I avoid it. And so, but but any kind of um, mentality where where I am the problem and I have to beat myself up for it is not going to result in in the um, progress that you want. We have to completely approach our bodies differently. And we've been told that your body needs to look a certain way and it's just fucking bullshit anyway. And I'm sorry, the FDA needs to burn down most of the food industry. We are fed, we are yes. fed actual poison in this country and, and with a government stamp that this is real food. When so many indigenous societies would be like, this is not even real food. This is like dead, dead shit that's poisoning you. And that's a whole other topic I want to get into. You know, the amount of things that we allow in this country versus what other yeah. countries allow in our foods, in our skincare products yeah. and everything like that. So there's I just I'm very, very, very grateful every time I see new work coming out that, you know, talks around this, that, you know, we start to actually address this issue because it affects us all. Yeah, it's taken 40 plus years. Um, I'm 48 now, but, you know, like about four or five years ago when is when I started like kind of just learning to be like gentle with myself, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And understanding all the different factors that led me here, not hate, not flogging myself for not having the discipline because mm. I kept being told, this is calories in and calories out. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do it? Mm. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> bullshit right? It's not true. So, but at the same time, yeah. I'm like, I love food and I'm going to talk about food. I put recipes at the end. Anyhow, I think people will, yeah, I think people will like the book. It sounds beautiful. And then you also have a new podcast drop today drop yep. today oh yep. wow on Love national this. led day Synergy? i don't yeah. know yeah we wow. timed it oh, wow. we timed it just you guys that. really Tough didn't hold back <laughs> um it's called rabia and ellen solve the case tell us about that oh yeah <laughs> i always keep being like i should describe it no you're but <laughs> this is your work you can describe it yeah i'm really <laughs> excited about this and um it's because a couple of years about a year and a half ago i realized that the, the shows i listened to the most and i listened to a lot of true uh, excuse me podcasts were true crime and talk shows and i said does anybody have a true crime mm-hmm. talk show and i'm like wait nobody does and um so i thought you know it'd be fun to find a co-host who would kind of be the yin to my yang and ellen marsh is like this incredible talented gorgeous broadway actor who is like my voice is like a sedative and hers is like crystal meth and we just uh, work well together. <laughs> but also, you know, I also wanted to be able to bring like the skills that I've learned doing undisclosed and doing like the investigative work to cases that everybody thinks they know, you know, Scott Peterson, Michael Peterson, John Bonet Ramsey, all these true crime, big, big cases, and just kind of breaking away the layers of like the noise around them and getting to the evidence, teaching people how to really understand like what's evidence, what's not, what do you look at, at what do you look at in a case? And, um, but having guests on, like, so we have celebrity guests on, I'm really excited about some people because even celebrities love crime and, and have cases that they're obsessed with. Um, so it's got a different element and it's a, a one hour, but when one hour, I promise to change people's minds about some of the cases they think they know. Yeah. What I think is really interesting about this, obviously true crime is having a moment has been for a while, you know, there's podcast, my favorite murder, different types of podcasts out there. And but what you bring to this 
well, first off, you're right, a true crime talk show. I haven't heard that before. And bringing guests is always great because it helps bring in new, fresh energy and keep stuff. But specifically, you bring a level of expertise and knowledge. And that's exactly right. Being able to break down elements of the case that other people might not understand. You know how we talked about up top, you know, an opportunity to talk about wrongful convictions or see how things can go wrong yeah. or what's right or just how to look at this from not... um a sensational perspective, but rather one that's more practical. Listen, I, the, yeah. the Nancy Grace effect is real. Okay. Yeah. It's real. <laughs> and I was just right before we started recording, I looked briefly at our Instagram because our first episodes dropped today and we talk about Scott Peterson, um, the Scott Peterson, Lacey Peterson case and like 80 comments on one of the posts is like, I cannot believe my mind has been changed. And I'm like, this is great. That's great. Wow. This is what I want to do and have fun doing it. Yeah. That's exactly it. Well, Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really great. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Still can't believe mm. the timing of this. <laughs> right. I'm just so happy for you, for your whole family. It's pretty remarkable. And it shouldn't be remarkable, but it is. Look, I've told Adnan, you know, we chat almost every day. I'm like, listen, um, and he'll call me and be like, I know you're busy, Rabia. And I'm like, I am. And I can be busy now because I'm done with your case now. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's like lur he's like lurking on social media mm -hmm. and just kind of trying to figure out how to like you know use a laptop and stuff. And um, and it's it's oh, wow. fun. Yeah. It's fun watching him discover the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't even. This must be pretty overwhelming and exciting. But to to come out in tw almost 2023, mm -hmm. that's that's got to be a real trip. It's like walking out of a cave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yep, famous, yep. like you walking out. <laughs> of a cave and everybody right. knows yeah. you. It's like, welcome to the world. We did a terrible job with this yeah, place, yeah. but here it <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it got worse. Well, we'll <laughs> certainly be paying attention and following this. And thank you. Thank you again. We appreciate it. And thank you all, our lovely listeners. We will be back next week. But in the meantime, please, please remember that we love you very much. Much.